Well, all right. It is uh, great to see you. It's great to be together as we are continuing the second week in the series that we've been calling Highlight God Through You. And uh, what we've been doing in this series, if you missed last week, is, uh, is we're actually using this series as a platform to kind of journey through and work our way through the incredible book of the New Testament, uh, the book of First Peter. And, uh, and so we're really kind of basing this whole series out of this incredible letter that was written uh, nearly 2,000 years ago by a guy named Peter. Peter, who is a disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. And so we're kind of working our way and sort of looking at that together. Uh, last week, if you were with us, uh, you might remember that we actually spent the entire time that we had doing an introduction to the series. And so we kind of introduced the whole concept. Why are we going through this series? And then we also introduced you to the book of 1 Peter. And so we took some time to talk about uh, who wrote the book of 1 Peter, who he was. We talked about the circumstance, the time it was written, and some of the events that surrounded that. And I would encourage you, by the way, if you are a guest and you're just joining us today and you missed last week, uh, it might be good for you to go back and listen to that. Um, you can get that on our podcast, on our app, or on our website. All of those platforms are for free. You can watch or listen to any of our previous messages. And I think that would actually be greatly beneficial to you because uh, we laid a lot of foundation last week that I think is really going to help uh, make the rest of the series make sense. So you can grab that. But if you did miss, miss last week, in a nutshell, it's kind of summarized for you what we talked about. Uh, we said that this, this letter, the letter that Peter wrote, uh, uh, Peter to the churches that were scattered throughout the world, uh, that even though it is nearly 2,000 years old, it's estimated that it was written in about 64 AD, that even though we are separated by time and by culture, that this book is very relevant and is very practical to the time and place that we find ourselves in today. And so we said that really, um, even though we live in an entirely different time and society, that we are increasingly living in a time that looks more and more like the same kind of situation that Christians were facing in the book of 1 Peter. And so let me just kind of give you a uh, kind of a snapshot of what Peter was writing into. So back in 64 AD, Peter was writing to Christians who were scattered throughout the world. And these Christians were following Jesus in a society in which they were the cultural minority. And so we said uh, last week that Christians back in the society were not the majority. They were not the consensus of the society they lived in. Uh, they were the minority within that society. In the same way, these Christians had to learn how to navigate their faith in a society that was largely hostile to and misunderstanding of the message of Jesus. And so we talked about this. We said that Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were experiencing uh, a pretty high level of suffering and quite honestly, a good level of persecution because of their belief in Christ. And some of that persecution showed up in softer forms, so things like criticism and rumors and misunderstanding. And some of it showed up in some harsher forms. And so some of these Christians were enduring physical persecution. Some of them were actually being killed because of their belief in Jesus Christ. And so these, these, these believers were trying to figure out how do we live out our faith in Jesus in a society that is largely antagonistic towards the message of Christ. And so they're trying to figure that out. And then all of this kind of amounted to this, that there were rising social and political pressures to abandon Christ and his teachings. And so there was this pressure because there was such antagonism towards the message of Jesus and misunderstanding. There was this social pressure and this political pressure for people of God to abandon their faith. And here's what we said last week. We said, you know, it's interesting that if you look at just these simple bullet points on this screen, it probably becomes somewhat apparent why this book is becoming more and more relevant to us today in the time and place that we find ourselves. And we said that even though things aren't as severe as maybe they were in First Peter, that we live in a society right now 
and we talked about this for the past couple of weeks, uh, where Christianity is increasingly becoming a minority within uh, the culture that we live in. 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, it would have been, uh, you would have been part of the majority if you were a person who followed Jesus. It would have been politically, socially advantageous for you to some degree for you to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. And we said that increasingly that is not the case anymore, uh, that now uh, on the religious spectrum, Christianity is not considered the majority uh, within our society. And in addition to that, it's oftentimes not politically or socially advantageous for you to identify yourself as a follower of Christ. And so we said that, yeah, this book is pretty relevant to us, that it actually has some stuff to tell us about how to live in a circumstance like what we see on the screen. And what Peter's gonna say to these believers is he's gonna see that they're undergoing some suffering, they're undergoing some persecution, they're undergoing some misunderstanding and some scrutiny because of their faith, and they are not prepared for how to deal with that. And so Peter writes to them almost like a handbook, almost like a handbook on how to navigate through some of those tensions in the society they live in. What Peter says is amazing because Peter's gonna say that there are three natural ways that followers of Jesus tend to respond in situations like this. And he's gonna say, and there's one way that's not natural, but it's the way that God desires for us to respond. And what is that? Well, here's what we said last week. We said there's a natural desire for those who follow Jesus to respond in one of these three ways. So the first one would be to assimilate. That when you live in a society that is largely misunderstanding and hostile towards the message of the gospel, then just assimilate. Then just blend in. Just look like, act like, think like everyone else in your culture around you. If you can't beat them, join them. And what Peter's gonna say to the followers of Jesus is he's gonna say, don't do that. Don't assimilate, don't abandon your spiritual identity and your spiritual convictions to simply blend into the society that you're living in. He's also gonna say that there's gonna be some people who their natural response is retaliate. So retaliate, if you persecute me, I'm gonna persecute you right back. And if you speak volitiously or maliciously against me, I'm gonna speak with equal amount of volition towards you. If you blast me on social media, I'm gonna blast you right back. And Peter's gonna say, don't do that either. Don't do that either. Some are gonna say, we need to isolate. We need to isolate, let's get out. And if there's persecution and things are going rough and man, the whole world is going to hell anyway, so why don't we insulate and isolate? Let's just come over here, create a little subculture within this and, and that's how we're gonna work. And Peter says, don't do that either, don't do that either. And so he's gonna say, don't assimilate, don't retaliate, don't isolate, so how should Christians respond? And here's what Peter's gonna say. He's gonna say, this, this is a unique opportunity for you to illuminate. This is a unique opportunity for you to stand out, to look different, to live as lights in a world, in a dark world, and you are going to reveal the character and love of Jesus through you. In fact, last week we used this illustration. We said the entire book of 1 Peter can actually be summarized in one illustration. And we said basically the illustration is this, that for those who follow Jesus, which I know is uh, not everybody in this room, but many of us in this room would identify ourselves that way, Peter's gonna say that we are to live like highlighters, that that is the way that we're to live our lives, we're to be highlighters. And we talked about this last week. We said, you know, highlighters are interesting if you think about them. They're almost unlike anything else that's out there because highlighters are something that is created not to be an end in itself. It's not to be an end in itself. It is created instead, I guess you can put it this way, highlighters are created to glorify something. That's what they're created for. And so when you use a highlighter, the intention is not that it draws attention to itself, 
But the, attention, the, 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 the purpose of a highlighter is that it stands out, not simply that it'll draw attention to itself, but it will draw attention through itself so that you can see something that's behind it. And you see, this is what Peter's gonna say about Christians. He's gonna say, you are to live like highlighters, that your entire life is to glorify God. And so that Christians should stand out in the society that they live in in such a way that it causes people not simply to look at us, but for people to look through us so they can see the God that we place our hope in. So that when we live these different lives, it's going to reveal the character and the love and it's gonna reveal the type of God that we've put our hope in. And so because of that, Peter's gonna say, you guys have a really great opportunity. You have a great opportunity to live like highlighters. That every circumstance in your life, every relationship, every situation that a follower of Jesus finds himself in is a unique opportunity for you to illuminate and for you to highlight the love and the character of God. So practically speaking, how's that show up? Well, that's what we're talking about in this series. And today I wanna talk about one of the ways that those who follow Jesus are to live like highlighters. And today what I wanna talk about, what Peter's gonna talk about is this idea of highlighting God through our suffering. So Peter's gonna say something pretty cool. I think it's actually, it's actually pretty uh, provocative. He's gonna say that for those who follow Jesus, one of the most unique opportunities and one of the, honestly, one of the greatest opportunities we have to highlight God is in and through our suffering. And so to show you what Peter's gonna say, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me? And if you would join me in 1 Peter chapter one, that's where we're gonna be going. So we're gonna return back to kind of where we left off last week. So 1 Peter chapter one is where we're gonna go. That's gonna be found on page 850, by the way. If you need to use one of our Bibles under the chairs, uh, feel free to do that. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, feel free to take one of those. You can have one of our Bibles. We'd love for you to take that as a gift from us to you. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 1, page 850. Now, as you're uh, locating that and you're, you're finding yourself there, um, let me just say that this, this theme of suffering, this topic of suffering, uh, is without a doubt the primary theme of the book of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter is five very short chapters. You probably noticed that in your Bible. And in these five very short chapters, 19 times, you're gonna see the word suffer, suffering, trial, hardship show up, 19 times. It is gonna show up as a major theme in every single chapter in the book of 1 Peter. And the reason for that, the reason for that is because these Christians are suffering. They are going through easily, probably some of the hardest circumstances that they've ever faced in their life, both because of the persecution that they're experiencing because of their belief in Jesus and because they're living in a corrupt governmental society. And so they're experiencing extreme suffering. Things are not good for this group of people. And so Peter is writing to them, and I want you to notice verse one and two, he starts off with an introduction. We talked about that last week, a greeting. Now, look how he starts his letter. This is in verse three. Watch what Peter does. This is how he speaks to these Christians who are going through maybe the worst suffering they face in their life. Here's what Peter says in the very beginning. Verse three, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's just hit pause there for a minute. I want you to think about this with me for a second. Peter's writing to Christians who are going through maybe the hardest thing that they've ever faced in their life. And what is the first thing that Peter says to them after his greeting? He says, praise God, praise God, which is weird to me because I would think that if Peter was starting his letter, he might start off by saying, um, 
I'm so sorry to hear about the lousy situation that you find yourself. I'm praying for you. I would think that maybe Peter would start like this. I think that Peter might start off by saying, I'm so mad, I'm so angry to hear about the terrible things that are happening to you. I'm doing everything in my power to get you out of that situation. That's not what Peter does. Peter starts off and he says, praise God. And what's even more interesting is in verse six, he's gonna say, rejoice, rejoice. This is a bizarre thing. And if you're a person that's familiar with the Bible, uh, you might notice that this is actually a very consistent theme throughout scripture. Uh, James chapter one, for example, James says, uh, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let me ask you a question real quick. What kind of person praises and rejoices and considers it pure joy when they suffer? What kind of person does that? And I wanna submit to you, there's only two two kinds of people that do that. First is uh, crazy people, right? And I mean like legit crazy people, like people who think they're Abraham Lincoln or they're a box of Kleenex or something like that. Um, And the second type of person is um, people who know something, people who know something. People who can see not just to their suffering, but can see through their suffering that it's leading to something. So think about, for example, a new mother, uh, an expecting first-time mother who goes into labor. Uh, She can rejoice and she can praise, not because of the pain that she's facing, but because of what that pain is gonna produce, what the end result of that is going to be. And so Peter's gonna say Christians can praise and Christians can rejoice when they face trials. And why is that? He's gonna say, because you know something, because Christians can know something. And what do we know? Well, he outlines it. Look, take a look with me. If you jump down at verse six, he actually explains it here. Here's what Peter says. He says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. You great, there is again, that same idea, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, it's not what you're going through, it's not permanent. Um, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, might result in glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I know that might sound like a mouthful, what Peter says here, but if you could just break it down, here's basically what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, all followers of Jesus can greatly rejoice when they face all kinds of trials, all kinds of trials. Why? Because we know that these have come so that, there's a purpose, the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, that this is going to prove the genuineness of your faith. It's going to refine your faith and it is going to result, it's going to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, if that sounds a little bit complicated, let me see if I can distill what Peter is saying in my own words. So if I could just put it in my own words, I think here's what Peter's saying here. I think Peter's saying that those who follow Jesus can rejoice and can praise in the midst of sufferings. Why? Because we know something. And what do we know? Here's what we know. That all suffering is an opportunity to know Christ more deeply and to show God's glory more fully. I think this is exactly what Peter's saying in the book of 1 Peter. I think he's saying, listen, Christians can rejoice and we can praise in the midst of suffering. Why? Because, and this is so important, I just want you to catch this, man. If you're a follower of Christ, I hope that you get this. All suffering, all suffering. Help me out real quick. How much suffering? Tell me. All of it, all of it. All suffering, any suffering of any kind is an opportunity. That is, if dealt with correctly, if handled correctly, to know Christ more deeply and to show God's glory more fully. And some of you might be thinking, well, 
Okay, well, explain that to me. Like, how, how exactly does that work? All right, well, let's just break it down. Let's start off by talking about all suffering, all suffering. So Peter says something real fascinating in verse six uh, that I wanna draw your attention to. He says this, he says, we suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, what's fascinating about the term all kinds in the Greek language, it's literally the word that means multicolored. And I think, I think this is actually really insightful because what it tells us is what Peter is telling us is that suffering, human suffering, is deeply mysterious and is deeply complicated. And that any attempt to try to simplify suffering or to categorize suffering in such a way that it completely satisfies human logic is going to fall short. That it's going to feel simplistic and minimalistic to do that. In fact, I would even just tell you right now that even in this message, this sermon, my attempt to try to explain to us what God can accomplish through suffering is going to fall short. And the reason is because it is more complicated and is more mysterious than I think human logic can get, we can get our minds around. And especially, by the way, if you're a person who's enduring real suffering, right? Some of you are going through really hard things. And any attempt for me to try to explain away suffering is going to run the risk of sounding minimalistic or sounding dismissive. And I understand that. But here's what Peter's gonna say, and I think this is really important, is that even though there is a component of suffering that is mysterious, that doesn't mean that there isn't something that we can understand about what God is doing in our suffering. And so he says, all kinds, he's like, all shades. Some of you are like, okay, well, can you give me some examples of the various kinds of suffering like that we face? Well, sure. Actually, Peter helps us with this. And what Peter's gonna do throughout the book of 1 Peter is he's actually gonna show us four different kinds of suffering, four different kinds of suffering that we face. And I'll just kind of run you through these. This, this list is not exhaustive, but these are different forms of suffering that we see in the book of 1 Peter. So first off, let me just give you the first category. The first shade or color of suffering is what I call foolish suffering, foolish suffering. So what is foolish suffering? Well, here's what that is. Here's the definition. Foolish suffering is suffering because of foolish, negligent, or sinful decisions on my part. And so Peter's gonna say, there's a lot of different shades of suffering. There's multicolored sufferings. One shade is foolish suffering. He actually mentions this in chapter two, verse 20, and also chapter four, verse 15. I'll actually just show it to you. If you have your Bible open, you can just look over a chapter. In, chap in uh, 1 Peter 2, 20, he says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong? Or again, in 1 Peter 4, 15, if you suffer, it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about foolish suffering. This is suffering for doing wrong. This is suffering for criminal activity. Uh, this is suffering because of a sinful, foolish, or negligent decision that you've made. And Peter's gonna say this is a real kind of suffering that we see in our life. Um, this is what some people call paying the stupid tax, right? Let me ask you a question. How many in this room have ever paid the stupid tax in your life? Show of hands. All right, good. Now, a lot of you didn't raise your hand. So let me ask it this way. How many of you, the person next to you has ever paid the stupid tax in their life? Okay, good, that's, that's a little bit more like it. And uh, yeah, so here's the truth, all right? All of us, every single one of us has paid the stupid tax. We have felt the effects of foolish, ne negligent, or sinful decisions that we've made in the life. And Peter's gonna say, this is a real kind of suffering. So for example, let's say that I made a very foolish financial decision, or I made a very negligent financial decision is that going to introduce a certain level of suffering into my life? 
The answer to that is yes. Maybe I'm gonna go through a season of debt or I'm gonna go through a season of tight finances because I wasn't, I wasn't being a good steward or I wasn't being smart with my money. Now, that is real suffering, yes. But what is the cause of that? The cause of that would be foolish suffering. That's what that is. It's negligence or it's some sinful or it's some kind of foolish decision on my part. Or what about this? If I fail out of a class because I failed to do my assignments, is that, going to induce, is that going to introduce a level of suffering in my life? Well, sure it is. Sure it is. Is that real suffering? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But what is the cause of that? Well, it's negligence on my part. If I get fired from my job because of some type of unethical issue, uh, this, can be, this can be a lot of different things, right? This can be as, as big as criminal activity, and this can be as small as even some of the silly, dumb little things that we do. I was actually thinking about the foolish suffering, and I couldn't help but think of my college career. And I uh, can't help but think that my entire college career was pretty much marked by foolish suffering. And one of the things that came to my mind was just this, this one time, silly, silly little thing. I remember one time my friends dared me. They said, hey, I'll give you five bucks if you ride in that commercial dryer. I thought, <laughs> five bucks, it's on. So I got in the commercial dryer, my friends hit go. I, I tried to last for as long as I could, last about 45 seconds in the dryer, and then got out and was sick for the next 24 hours. So did I suffer? Sure, sure. But what was that? It was the stupid tax. I was paying the stupid tax, all right? So that is a real kind of suffering. Peter's gonna say that's one type. Here's another color, another shade. Common suffering. So Peter's gonna talk about different shades of suffering. One of those shades is gonna be common suffering. What is common suffering? That is suffering simply from living in a fallen and broken world. So this is not uh, because I've done anything wrong per se. This is not because I have introduced this into my own life because of a foolish or negligent decision. This is, if you can call this one the stupid tax, this one is the life tax. This is just part of what it means to live in a broken world. And the Bible tells us that we live in a world right now that is groaning to be recreated. It is groaning to be redeemed by its savior that ever since Genesis chapter three, that we live in a cursed land. And so because of that, common suffering is something that we face. Jesus said this in John 16, He said, in this world, you will have trouble. And it's just true. He said, now I have overcome the world, which is a beautiful thing, but in this world, we will face trouble. So what does that show up like? Well, this is things like uh, natural disasters would be something that would be in this category. Uh, entropy. So your car that breaks down that you have to get fixed, uh, the reciting your house, right? The entropy of your body, our bodies breaking down, illness, uh, getting older, aches and pains. When you start to have sleep-related injuries as you get older, right? that's an effect of common suffering. Loss, death, heartbreak, tragedy. Uh, for those of us who are Browns fans last week, um, common suffering. That's an effect of living in a cursed land. Right? That's what that is. Now, some of you might argue being a Browns fan is actually foolish suffering. And I, I don't know if I would disagree with you on that. We do it to ourselves, but that, that's part of it. So foolish suffering, common suffering. And then he's gonna say there's also a level unjust suffering. Unjust suffering. Now, what is unjust suffering? Well, you actually see this in chapter two and also in chapter three, but let me just show you in chapter two what he says. He says, for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So what is unjust suffering? Unjust suffering is suffering because of an act of injustice or harm done to me. So this is, I've, I have not done anything wrong. In fact, oftentimes this is because you have done the right thing. 
and yet you still suffer as a result of it. Uh, this can show up in a lot of different ways. Here's an example. This could be paying somebody else's stupid tax. So some of you know, when someone makes a sinful, painful, or negligent decision, that doesn't just affect them. It affects those around them that love them as well. So some of you are, are doing that right now. Um, this could be being taken advantage of. Uh, maybe you are in a business deal and you are getting the bad end of that deal. And you've been treated in a way that's unjust and unfair. Yeah, that's that, that would be this, that's this. Uh, this could be betrayal, betrayal of a friend. This could be discrimination. Uh, if you're being discriminated on you know, in some way or another, that, that's an act of injustice. And that's a type of suffering that we face in this life. And then the last one that Peter shows us, so there's foolish, common, unjust. And the last one that Peter talks about is this idea of Christian suffering, what I call Christian suffering. And this is a very unique type of suffering. And what Christian suffering is, is it is suffering because of my association and my faith in Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example here, 1 Peter 4. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. It's foolish suffering. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And so you see, this is suffering because I am associated with Jesus. It's because I know him. This suffering is unlike any other. It is reserved only for those who follow Christ. These top three sufferings are common to the human experience. This one is reserved for people who follow Jesus. And what's interesting is, and, and what I want you to notice here, is that I've actually listed these forms of suffering from least to greatest in the eyes of God. What you're actually gonna find when you read 1 Peter is that not all suffering is created equal and that there are some types of suffering that God esteems more highly than others and he can accomplish greater glory for himself through those forms of suffering. And so Christian suffering is one of those. Christian suffering would be uh, things like being insulted for your faith. That would be things like being targeted uh, because you're a follower of Jesus, uh, ostracized by family and friends simply because you're identifying yourself with Christ, okay? This is not being, you know, this isn't experiencing suffering because you're being a Jesus jerk. That's not what this is. That, you know, oh, I'm suffering for the name of Christ because I told my relative off that they're an idiot because they don't believe in Jesus. That's on, that's foolish suffering. This is, I know I'm a follower of Christ and because I follow Jesus and I associate with him, it's going to introduce some level of suffering into my life. Now, what we said earlier was this. We said that all suffering, that no matter what form we're talking about, all of it is an opportunity to know Christ more deeply and show God's glory more fully. So now here's the question. Well, how? How are, how are all forms of suffering that we just looked at able to be used by God to know Christ more deeply and to show God's glory more fully? How is that possible? So some of you, you might've been looking at that list and maybe you can, maybe you can associate, identify with some of those. Maybe right now um, you are facing some type of foolish suffering. There's some consequences that you're experiencing right now. Maybe it's common suffering. Maybe it's unjust suffering. Maybe you are being insulted for your faith and there is Christian suffering. So how can those things be used by God? And what I love to tell you is that God desires to use those, that all suffering is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to know Christ more fully and to glorify him, uh, to know Christ more deeply and to glorify him more fully. So let's think about how that's the case. Peter's gonna help us with this. So let's start with foolish suffering. So some of you might be here today and you might, if you're being real honest, you might be experiencing some measure of foolish, foolish suffering. 
Maybe for some of you, there's some stuff that you're going through right now and you're like, yeah, I did it to myself. There's some regretful decisions that I made. There's some things that I, I deeply wish I could change. Maybe you're a person who's coming in here today and you are carrying with you a giant bag of regret and you're looking and you're saying, how's God ever gonna use this? And can I just tell you, man, God can and wants to use that. And God, God loves you. And um, I believe that he can use these things to drive you closer to him, that you can know him and you can glorify him. Well, how? All right, well, here's how. I think first off, I think that what foolish suffering does is it actually points me to my need for forgiveness and it points me to my need for wisdom. You know, the cool thing about foolish suffering is it has this, it has this thing that it causes humility within me. Um, and one of the things I love so much about God is I believe it's all my heart. I believe that God is a loving father and that sometimes God in his loving mercy will allow us to experience some of the consequences of our decisions, not as a form of punishment, but as a form of his grace. Because I believe in his grace, he's trying to reveal to us our deepest need is him. And it reveals to me, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need wisdom that comes from God. I need that. And, and it's only when we experience sometimes the humiliating effects and the consequences of those decisions that we actually can turn our hearts back to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people and I've asked them, I said, hey, tell me about your, your God story, about how when you first started following Jesus. And so many times I've heard people say, I was going through my life and I was doing things the way I wanted to. And then all of a sudden I started to reap all of the, uh, I started to reap all of the decisions that I sowed earlier. And all of a sudden I hit rock bottom and I realized I need Jesus. And I cried out to Jesus and I said, God, I've been trying to live my own way and it hasn't been working and I need you. Would you forgive me? And I started following Jesus. And you know what my response is when I hear someone say that? I don't say, you idiot. That's not what I say. I say, praise God. That's my story. Praise God. Because God allowed me to see that I need him. And it took sometimes, sometimes it takes feeling the consequences to point us in those ways. So if you're a person who's in here and you're like, what does God think about all my decisions? What is, can God ever love me? Can God ever forgive me? The answer is yes. And all of the pain that you might be feeling because of those decisions is intended to point you back to God. And so you will find forgiveness and you will find love in him. And the other cool thing, and I love this, the other cool thing that God does in foolish suffering is he actually does something amazing. That in our foolish suffering, God can actually use that as an opportunity for us to boast in God's grace and to boast in my weakness. I'll tell you, I've seen this happen time and time again in my life and in the lives of other people. I have seen God use our greatest moments of regret, sometimes as the greatest testimony of God's power and his grace in our life. The Apostle Paul was always doing this. The Apostle Paul would always be like, dude, I was the chief of all sinners. It's like, I was, I, was, I was more messed up than I knew. And then I came to Jesus and Jesus was so gracious that he even forgave a sinner like me. And so Paul would boast in his sin and then he would boast in God's grace and he would say, look at how gracious God is. And listen, I think God can do that too. And for some of us, we look back at some regretful decisions we made and God can use that. He can use that as a testimony of his love and his forgiveness and his grace in your life. And so yes, yes, God can use foolish suffering to know Christ and then to show Christ, to, gl to add glory to him, to illuminate. What about common suffering? How can God use that? All right, well, let's just think about this a little bit. I think one way that God can use common suffering to help us know Jesus more deeply 
is uh, that common suffering has a way of exposing the source of my trust and refining my faith. It exposes the source of my trust and it refines my faith. I actually really like the way he says it in 1 Peter. If you look again at, uh, at chapter one, verse six and seven, he says, trials have come, trials have come to prove the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Now, what he's talking about here is actually one of the most common metaphors in all of the Bible that's used to speak about suffering. And one of, the, one of the metaphors the Bible uses most often to talk about suffering is it talks about suffering as fire. And it's gonna say that what fire is to gold is what suffering is to our faith. And that in the same way that fire refines gold and purifies gold, the same thing, trials and suffering are going to refine and purify our faith. That that is God's great project in our life is that we might trust him more. And quite honestly, sometimes the only way that God is going to expose a flaw in our faith is when he allows fire to come in. It's gonna reveal to us where our faith really lies. I love the way that Larry Crabb puts it. Larry Crabb is a Christian psychologist. He wrote a book called Shattered Dreams, God's Unexpected Path to Joy. It's a great book. And here's what he says. I think this is insightful. He says, sometimes all that separates Christians from non-Christians is our understanding of how to produce good feelings. The pursuit of pleasure remains primary. We continue to want something or someone more than God. And then he says, we don't think that that's our, main, our biggest problem, but it is. And I think what he's saying here is really good. What Larry Crabb is saying is he's saying, listen, our biggest problem is that we want something or someone more than we want God. And we keep putting our faith and our trust in things besides God, and they cannot bear the weight of our hope and our faith. And so God wants to expose that. God wants to reveal that. And what Larry Crabb is gonna say, sometimes is God introduces trials in our life to expose to us the things that we are putting our hope and faith in. Think about it like this. Let's say that I was to get up here in front of all of you and I was to say, I trust God as my provider. I trust God, he's gonna provide for me. God is my source of identity. God is my source of security, all right? Now, I say that to you, and I believe that. I, even saying here right now, I, I do believe that. But let's say that somewhere deep in my heart, I'm not even aware of this, but really, truly, my security is found in my bank account. Let's say that really what's going on is that my source of security is found in my job or is found in my 401k. What is it gonna take for God to reveal to me that I have misplaced my faith? What's it gonna take? He is going to, like a masterful surgeon, he is going to have to introduce some amount of pain into my life that is going to expose and reveal to me that my faith has been placed and said, I would not know that otherwise. And so listen, common suffering has a way of doing that. Common suffering has a way of exposing to us the places where we've been putting our faith, where we've been putting our trust. It shows, in, it shows all of the impurities in our faith and it draws us into a closer relationship with. If dealt with correctly, it should cause us to lean into our father, not away from him. And the cool thing about common suffering is that this is one of the most incredible opportunities to make my faith and hope visible to other people. I just wanna tell you, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just, I really feel like Peter, what he's telling us here is so powerful because I think what Peter is telling us is he's saying, listen, if you follow Christ, the times of suffering in your life are the times that you can shine the most brightly. 
And quite honestly, when you, when you reveal your faith, when you live as a person with faith and hope, even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of illness, even in the midst of difficult times, not saying that you pretend like everything is okay, but that you put your faith and your hope in God and you praise and rejoice even in the midst of your suffering, you say, you're gonna look so different to the world around you. And you're gonna highlight God through you. Suffering is actually one of the most incredible opportunities to show the world your hope and your faith in Christ. It's amazing. I'll tell you something else I've noticed. I've seen this before. I've seen God take people's greatest points of pain and make them their greatest place of ministry. I've seen people who have journeyed through difficult seasons of illness or tragedy only to come back and they, they be able to use that as an opportunity to serve and minister to other people. And that's true. For some of you, you have endured things that none of us in this room have endured. And it's possible, it's possible that God can use the comfort that you found from following him to impart that to another person. I love the way that uh, Robert Bly put it. Robert Bly is an American poet. And he said this, he said, where a man's wound is, that is where his genius will be. Wherever the wound appears in our psyches, whether it stems from isolation, disability, or disease, that is precisely the place for which we give our major gift to the community. I love that. Sometimes our greatest point of pain is our greatest place in ministry. And God can redeem those things and use them to glorify himself if we would only see it. Some of you are going through common suffering right now. Some of you are in serious uh, uncertainty, uh, health-related. Some of you are going through tragedy right now. And I'm not trying to minimize that. It's hard. It's hard. Man, if you follow Jesus, if you can see that as a place, as an opportunity to trust Jesus more deeply and know him more deeply and glorify God more fully through you, God can use that. He can use it for your good. He can use it for his glory. What about this one? What about unjust suffering? Well, here's something cool. Unjust suffering has a way of really drawing me to Christ, unlike other sufferings. Uh, and what we're gonna find is that in unjust suffering, I actually have an opportunity to share in fellowship with Jesus. I have an opportunity to know Jesus more deeply in unjust suffering than these other two. Now, why is that? Well, look what he says in 1 Peter. He's gonna say in chapter two, it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. So he's gonna, he says, it's commend, this, this kind of suffering is commendable, he says, if you're conscious of God. Now look at this. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. This, to this you were called. Now this is interesting. Peter says, this kind of suffering, followers of Jesus, you were called to this. This is the kind of suffering you're called to because Christ suffered for you. So you see what he says? He says, the reason that you were called to suffer injustice is because Christ suffered your injustice and my injustice. And he said, he left us an example. He showed us what we should do, that you should follow his steps. You see what, you see what Peter's saying here? Peter says, listen, when you experience unjust suffering, it is an opportunity for you to be like Jesus. It is an opportunity for you to display the character and experience something that Christ himself experienced. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, he explains it. He says, Jesus committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. In other words, Jesus did nothing wrong. And yet when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so what Peter's gonna say is, listen, when you have, when you have injustice happen to you, he says, you have a very unique opportunity to be like Christ. 
because Christ was one who dealt with, with, with injustice. And rather than repaying evil for evil, he repaid good for evil. And rather than hating his enemies, he loved his enemies. And rather than retaliating and fighting back, he chose to serve in the midst of those things. And so he says, follow the example of Christ. And in that, you get to experience what Jesus experienced and you get to know him. He says, this is an amazing opportunity for you. And he's gonna go on to say, not only do you get to share in the fellowship with Christ, but you also get to display the passion or the, uh, the patience and the goodness of Christ. You get to show the world what the character of Jesus looks like. You get to show your coworkers and employees and family members what Jesus is like when he is treated unjustly. And what, this, what he's saying here is not that we should seek out injustice. He's not saying that we should purposely put ourselves in situations where we become uh, victimized and, and just do that because it's a good idea. He says, no, don't unnecessarily put yourself in situations where you seek this out. But when you're treated unjustly, which we all will be, he says, you can rejoice in that. Why? Because it's an opportunity. To this you were called. It's an opportunity for you to do good is an opportunity for you to love and to serve even when someone else is harming or is trying to hurt you. That's a pretty cool thing that he says here uh, in this passage. Now, let me just say, some of you right now are going through unjust suffering. You're experiencing this. It's much easier to teach this than it is to live this. I think we all know that. But I'm just telling you what Peter is going to tell you. Some of you are in this circumstance right now. What Peter is gonna tell you is he's gonna say, listen, do good, do good. If they're doing bad, you do good. He's gonna say, be conscious of God. Remember what, he, what God is doing. Don't retaliate, but entrust yourself to your heavenly father. See, one of the reasons I think that a lot of us have a hard time not retaliating when people do act unjustly towards us is because we don't believe that God can actually take care of us. But if you don't think God can take care of you, just look at Jesus, just look at Jesus. He, he endured incredible injustice, but he entrusted himself to God. Did God take care of him? I would think so. Raised on the third day, exalted to the highest place, name above all names. God took pretty good care of his son. And God can take good care of us too. All right, what about this last one? Christian suffering. All right, well, let me just tell you about this one. This form of suffering is by far the most commendable in the eyes of God. People who suffer this way have a very special place in the heart of God, and that is consistent throughout all of scripture. And so what the Bible's gonna tell us is that if you suffer as a Christian, you actually get to participate in the sufferings of Jesus, that you get to share in a level of fellowship with Christ that so many others might not have an opportunity to. This is what he says in 1 Peter 4. He says, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. And so what he says, what Peter says is, if you suffer in this way, you can celebrate, you can rejoice because you get to share and participate in the sufferings of Christ. And there's something amazing that God does through this suffering. Through this suffering, Christ's love and glory is gonna be shown through you. Can I just tell you, this type of suffering right here, the Bible says that if you suffer this way, that you should count it in honor and that this is one of the most powerful forms of suffering that God can use to accomplish his glory. I couldn't help but think of a, 
was reading a book recently and it was telling the story of a guy named, by, by the name of Richard Wormbrandt. So Wormbrandt is the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, some of you are familiar with the Voice of the Martyrs. It is a uh, Christian organization that gives voice to people who are suffering for their faith around the world. And uh, Richard Wormbrandt himself, uh, what many people didn't know is that he actually endured incredible physical persecution for his faith. And so he, uh, he was a prisoner in Romania uh, during the reign of, uh, of, um, of uh, communism, of, of, um, during the reign of Soviet communism. There's actually a picture of him right here. And he actually writes some memoirs about some of his uh, circumstances that he faced when he was in prison, some of the torturing that he, uh, that he was the recipient of because of his faith in Christ. And I wanna show you what he writes because this, this just blew my mind. This blew my mind. This is what he said. He said, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching and they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. <laughs> so I guess it's a win-win. You know, I don't know. But when I read that, I thought, wow, wow. I don't know if I think that way. I don't know if I do think that way. But can I tell you who that sounds like? It sounds a lot like Peter. You know what the Bible says in Acts chapter five, Peter and the disciples were beaten and imprisoned for their faith. And after they were released in Acts five, it says that the apostles left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy for suffering disgrace for the name. They said, praise God that God allowed us to be worthy to do that. And so can I just tell you, if you're a person that's facing this kind of suffering in your life, if you're being insulted, if you're being ostracized by your family, if you are being targeted in your workplace simply because you're a follower of Jesus in the classroom, in your college setting, if you're experiencing that right now, can I just tell you, here's what Peter's gonna say. He's gonna say, don't be surprised. And he's gonna say, don't be ashamed. And Peter's gonna say, Praise God that you bear his name. And Peter's gonna say, entrust your soul to God and do good. You keep doing good and you know that your father in heaven is gonna bless you for that. So bottom line, all suffering is an opportunity to know Christ more deeply and to show God's glory more fully. I think followers of Jesus, when we understand suffering correctly, we can truly praise God. We can truly rejoice because we know that there is something that God is doing through it and there's something he's doing in us that he wants to do something in us and he wants to do something to act for our good and for his glory. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you for, man, your, your word. Thank you for the book of First Peter that helps us so much. You know, we, we, suffering is such a mystery and uh, it can be so complicated that sometimes it's hard to know how to respond. And so I'm thankful that you didn't leave us alone, that you actually gave us insight into this. God, I know that there's some of us in this room, you know, we're saying, man, how are we ever gonna find the power to do this? And there's some of us who are here and we're saying, how do I, how do I know that the thing that I'm going through is gonna lead to something good, is gonna lead to your glory? And Father, while we might not be able to see it now, I know that there's one place that we can always look that is a profound declaration of what you are capable of doing with suffering. There's one place we can look to see the kind of glory that you can accomplish through injustice and through persecution. And that place is the cross. 
Because whenever we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the greatest act of injustice. We see the greatest act of persecution. We see what seems to be the greatest act of abandonment by you. And yet you turn that in, that deepest, darkest moment of suffering, you have turned that into the greatest moment of glory, achieving for all of us in this room salvation. And so if that's what you're capable of doing with suffering, then I think we can trust you. I think that we can look at the cross and we can say, yes, Jesus, you, you can use our suffering that we might know you more deeply and that more glory might, might be given to you more fully. And so God, would you just help us, help especially those who are really, really in it right now. I know there's some that are in our congregation right now who are carrying some heavy weight. And so I pray you just meet them where they are with your unique presence, God, and comfort them and help us to see not to our suffering, but to see through it. God, that this is an awesome opportunity for us to know you and for you to get glory. We ask it in Jesus' name.